stay at home on Sundays instead of going to church, if you were wondering about me. One of the reasons I love, uh, and I may have told this to her before, but one of the reasons I, I, I used to love staying at home on Sunday is because the one cartoon used to come on that now I just absolutely despise because the way he moves his mouth all weird like uh, was uh, Clutch Cargo. For some reason, I loved that character as a kid, but now I can't stand to see him. I'm like, oh man, I want to, you know, uh. The fact remains is that this attitude stayed with me all the way until adulthood. And in fact, the only reason uh, that you would uh, catch me in church was because I had a trumpet in my hand. But had I not had a trumpet in my hand, I would, would probably have been at home most Sunday mornings after working late Saturdays. But what is so strange is that as a kid, when I stayed at home, for whatever reason, either I pretended to be sick and the Lord knows that those days were few and far in between when my parents would allow me even to stay at home when I was sick. But I was bored out of my mind when I stayed at home. Why? Because when I stayed at home, I wanted to get out of the house. Uh, you see, when I stayed in the house or when I would stay in the house for any prolonged period of time, I feel claustrophobic-like. Uh, but this is one of the reasons why most people don't like to go to church anyway. This is why some people would rather uh, sit outside and bathe in the sun than to be in church because uh, they feel as if they have something better to do. So my challenge here today as is every single Sunday, but especially on Easter, it is a challenge and a temptation at the same time uh, because it concerns itself with the type of message I should deliver to you. Well, just like some of you in here at this place today, I also receive uh, at our house flyers in the mail inviting me uh, to churches on Easter as well. As a matter of fact, we got a whole slew of them. But in most of the flyers that I receive, there's uh, one common and strange message uh, most of these had together. And that was, uh, they invited me to their church so I would hear a practical message. Well, what in the world is a practical message? Well, I can, I can probably guess what it is. It's kind of like one of those bait and switch. Uh, you're familiar, familiar with those guys who do the bait and switch on you? Uh, that they tell you they have this really, really good thing for you. Uh, I remember one time I uh, uh, heard about this guy who uh, had discount on the, uh, uh, the television miniseries Roots. And I didn't have it. He said, oh, man, I can get this thing to you for like 25 uh, No, at the time it was like, uh, maybe it was like $70. The whole thing, I'm like, oh, man, this is really, really good. So I had to order it from him, right? Order it from somebody on the street, right? Uh, so I ordered on it. I just, you know, I, I get in conversations with people for various reasons. So I ordered it. And he delivered on time. But man, when I got that thing home and I started looking at it, the lines were squiggly all over the place. I'm like, where is this guy at? You know, all of a sudden he disappeared on me. So sometimes when you hear these things about a practical message and, you know, what does this really mean? Uh, sometimes I think it's almost like a bait and switch. 
In the sense that uh, they want to tell you uh, on Easter about how good uh, that we can get your family, just come join us. Where the coffee is free and the donuts are good, while these messages can be good, quite frankly, uh, some of those are no different from those that we receive on television, uh, like pop psychologist uh, Dr. Phil. So when I thought about what kind of message people would like to hear versus the type of message Jesus wanted you to hear, for me it was not even a close call. The message of Christ and his kingdom takes high priority. Now, uh, what does all of this have to do with today's message? Well, when I finally uh, was able to get to church as a kid, now, there was one thing that was unmistakable in my heart. Uh, when, when I would sometimes go to church uh, scratching and, and screaming and crying, you know, uh, doing everything I can to stay at home, uh, that one thing was absolutely sure uh, when church was over somehow, and I'm not sure how it happened, somehow I felt good. I always knew I felt it was something about, and I understand now in retrospect, it was something about the name of Jesus that would make me feel good. When I would watch as a kid the greatest story ever told on television and see Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross uh, for my sins, uh, even after all that, the sadness that I would feel at the end of the day, I would feel good, but I never told anybody. You see, because I didn't want my big brothers to think that I was a wimp I don't want them to think that I had a soft spot for Jesus somehow. I believe today's message will do exactly that for you. Uh, today's message is meant for you to feel good. Jesus did not enter into this world to condemn you. To condemn you. Did you know that? Jesus entered into this world to make you feel good. Uh, you see, hell is for a later time. It is a reality, uh, but uh, the entrance of uh, he came from heaven to earth to show you the way that this is supposed to make you feel good. And how will this message accomplish that? Well, by affirming you. By affirming you through the eyes of Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus will tell you uh, the things that will make you feel good. In other words... How does Jesus really see you? Well, the best way to discover it is by looking at his word. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him, accuse Jesus, that is, verse 11. Uh, he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not hold, uh, will not hold of it, take hold of it, and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So uh, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. 
But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Well, Jesus, number one, is speaking of affirmations of, of Jesus Christ to you to make you feel good. Number one, Jesus wants you to know that you matter. Jesus wants you to know that you matter. In our first passage, we see that uh, you matter to the Lord even when the religious people don't think so. First, understand that the heart of these religious people, that it was not biblical. I don't care what it seems like they were quoting from Scripture. You see, we falsely assume that just because they use biblical language in their refusal to help someone, that God also wanted this dear man to suffer. This was the doing of people and not the doing of God. But this is also our fault when we misunderstand the proper interpretation of what God has clearly spoken. Uh, face it, many of us blame God or the church uh, for the sometimes crazy things people of the church do. Uh, we don't want nothing to do with the church because those church folks are crazy, we say. Uh, some, they be doing this and they be doing that. Uh, we don't want anything to do with them. But many of those crazy things that happen, they happen because people have decided to add to God's word. You cannot add to God's word and you cannot improve his word. You can't do it because God's word uh, indeed is absolutely perfect and he knows the beginning from the end. And when we add to God's word, we dilute its power because then it becomes fraught with the imagination of people who are faulty at best. Here in Matthew 12, this idea of doing absolutely nothing on the Sabbath, this day of rest, was the invention of people who wanted to ensure that people pay, paid attention to God. So initially, they put all these things together, all these additional rules, so that folks would pay attention to God on the Sabbath. But God had never said, you can't do nothing. He says, he never said, don't go help somebody in need on the Sabbath. He never said that. Uh, that was the invention of mankind. But initially, all these Pharisees and these scribes, I want you to know uh, that somewhere at the very beginning, their hearts were right. But eventually, like we always do, uh, we take a good thing and make it into a bad thing. We take a good thing and we make it into a bad thing. Uh, I was thinking the other day as I was reading an article in, in, in the Tribune uh, specifically about a hand cleanser. So I wonder what does hand cleanser have to do with this? Well, you know, we know there was an invention of soap and soap is good. Amen? Amen is good. And I hope all you wash your hands enough time throughout the day. Uh, uh, but one thing that most of us know is that uh, over time what they started doing, I'm sure many of you have seen this, they started putting little beads inside the soap, right? Exfoliating, they say. Rub this on your hand. I remember the first time I did that, man, those rough fish scales that were on the inside of my hand, they came falling off like Jesus touched my hands when I, when I rubbed my hands together with that stuff. Uh, you put it on your skin and it smooths everything out. But what they have discovered now is that all those little tiny beads, that now they are culminating and they are starting to clog up the waterway system. 
And they're starting to get into the fish and all this other stuff. So they're trying to figure out, you know, how, what can we do in order to eliminate that? See, you see, it seems like every time that we try to improve upon something that God has given us, we always mess it up. But Jesus says here, uh, not only to the man with the withered hand, but also to you, uh, that you really do matter. Here in verse 12 of Matthew 12, Jesus places more value on a person than on sheep. How many people, Jesus says, would not save the life of a person in distress over an animal regardless of what day of the week it was? Uh, face it, most compassionate, most sensible people would help regardless of what was going on if it was within their power. How many of you think that you would have helped that man? But you see, uh, that Pharisee and those scribes, they would have looked at you and said, uh, don't you do that or we're going we're gonna to beat you down. So looking in our passage, we never see a discussion about whether or not uh, this paralyzed man knew the Lord. Uh, this is uh, the fine balance that we must always keep into focus. Uh, that Jesus didn't say, uh, to help this man first, you got to know me. You have to believe me with all your heart and all your mind and all your spirit and all your soul. And he just went ahead and touched the man and the man was healed. The key, key here was that Jesus uh, wanted to be uh, introduced into the conversation of the life and times of the people at the time. Uh, Jesus called for us to make disciples. It begins by us entering into the lives of other people. Uh, so God placed so much value on us that, uh, that he created us in his image, and we know that. By God creating us in his image, he says that you matter. God says that we matter indeed. How God has created you cannot be said of any other creature in all of creation. You matter to the Lord much like your own children matter to you. Let's move forward. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verses 3. Jesus also wants you to know that you are worthy of respect. Jesus also wants you to know that you are worthy of respect. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, they said to Jesus, that is, teacher, uh, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Uh, now in the law of Moses uh, commanded us to stone such woman. Uh, so what do you say? Look at verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older one. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing before him. You know, some folks want to hurt you just because they can. For the scribes and the Pharisees in this passage, they wanted the woman to get hurt just to prove a point to Jesus. In other words, the fact that they really didn't care about the woman is the, in the first place indicates their depravity. Uh, so they were willing, uh, think about that, uh, they were will willing to see this woman dead just to make a statement about Jesus Christ. Uh, they were so uh, suspicious and so concerned about Jesus uh, that they would even put you on the chopping block. But this proves two things to us. 
People will try to trash you in order to promote their own agendas. And if you are uh, working on a job, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't say that about my job, amen. But folks, they will try to trash you in order to promote their own agendas. Uh, so therefore, you have to manipulate, you have to motivate, you have to talk to people, come in the side door, the front door, the back door, the top door, the underneath door, uh, just to try to figure out, how can I keep my job? But number two, the, uh, the second thing that this proves is that God cares more about us than we care for one another. I'll say it again, God cares more about us than we care for one another. Uh, here's an example. Man, when I first got married, I just loved my wife so much. I loved her so much. But man, I was, I have to admit, I was, you know, I was, I was a little crazy. Some of you said, well, you're still a little crazy, Pastor. Uh, but I, I was a little crazy, and there were some days that I thought about, you know, once I left home that I wasn't coming back. I'm going to tell you the truth. Can I be real with you? I'm just telling you that there were some days that I thought that once I left home that I wasn't coming back because, why? Because I don't like the way she washed dishes. <laughs> one day, this, is, this was in our first year of marriage. This is in our first year of marriage, right? Uh, one day we were washing dishes, right? And it, it all made sense to me, right? We had the, uh, uh, you, you know, you have a regular double sink and then you had your rack, right? And uh, my wife had the suds in the middle and had the rinse over here and then put the, uh, the, the dishes all the way over here. So I said, honey, wouldn't it make more sense if you put the suds here and then rinse them off here and then go ahead and put them on the rack here, right? I'm trying to, I want her to be efficient, right? Uh, I'm thinking about if she do that, you know, that means uh, uh, she'll get to me 15 minutes earlier. And I want you to know that this lovely woman, she turned to me, her body was still, but her head began to turn. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and that neck turned around and around. I'm like, uh, somebody call a priest because something's some getting ready to happen here. And she said, don't you tell me what to do. And uh, I just said, I'm out of here. This woman... This woman is crazy. This is, this is what I said. You see, all my counselors, they didn't prepare me for that. You know, they didn't tell me that. If I just ask her a simple question of intelligence, what makes sense, you do your, you wash them here, you rinse them here, then you put them here, you save time, that she would get mad at me because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if she gets mad at me because of something as simple as this, what's going to happen when something big come up? I'm going to be in trouble. So I got in the car and I headed towards Kankakee. <laughs> I'm not sure if Orbit was there at that time, but uh, Elder Davis was there at that time. But I was heading towards Kankakee and I wasn't coming back. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, you know you didn't take nothing with you. So I went on back and now almost 30 years later, uh, she's still married to me. Amen. So anyway, I don't know how you guys got me off, you got me talking about that, uh, but at the end of the day, I, what I want you to know that Jesus, that he was truly concerned about this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. That, that Jesus, that he stood there 
right, uh, to shelter her in the midst of those who wanted to destroy her and, 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 and to make a fool out of him. They, they, ultimately, they wanted to kill him as well. But Jesus was willing to stand up and say, this woman is worthy of respect. That this woman, even though that, uh, yes, she did a wrong, uh, that indeed uh, that she was created in God's image. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, regardless of what people have said about you, that God says that you are worthy of respect. I want you to know that regardless of what you may have gotten yourself into, God still said that you are worthy of respect. The thing is that we must key into what God has said and not into what people tell us. Because if we keep listening to what people tell us, then we will always be down in the dump and be nothing and be depressed and be defeated. But God says that you are worthy of respect. So when we consider Resurrection Sunday and everything that leads up to it, know that it is all about God's love for you. For God so loved the world means that God loves you. I said, for God so loves the world means that God loves you. Yet, everybody say yet. Yes. Yet at the same time, he did not minimize her depravity and told her to stop sinning. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying, right? He said, oh, my dear sister, you are worthy of respect. Let me get rid of all these bums who are saying that you are living in sin because I know they're living in sin too. Uh, but he says, you go ahead and get up, girl. Are you going to be all right, girl? And then he looks at her and he says, you need to stop sinning. And this is where we get out of balance. You hear what I'm saying? This is the point where we get out of balance. Why? Because we are either too heavy on condemnation or too heavy on grace. What are you talking about? Well, being too heavy on condemnation means there is essentially nothing good to say about someone, but we always got bad and condemning news for someone. They will never, ever be able to do anything right before the Lord. Every step they make, you know that God, you better watch it. You know that you better watch it. So you don't want to be around them. But then uh, we are oftentimes too heavy on grace because we love people so much that we never get around to explaining them all about their shortcomings and their transgressions before the Lord. In this case, we love people so much that we love them straight to hell. At the end of the day, uh, we will be alone before Jesus. Remember it says at the end of that passage it says uh, when everyone else had dissipated, had disappeared, uh, that it was just the woman and Jesus. Know that uh, people are important, your family, your friends, that you must love them to death. Uh, but know that, that one day that you are going to stand before God and God all by yourself. All those people who tell you here that, oh, honey, I got your back. You ain't got to worry about nothing. Know that one day that they're not going to have your back. One day they're not going to be thinking about you. It's just going to be you, yourself, and I standing before God. And then what will you do? What will you do then? And who will you be able to fall back on when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ all by your lonesome? So Jesus' mission can be affirmed by this 
is to reconcile us. Jesus' mission is to reconcile us. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what Paul was saying is that uh, his ministry dealt with bringing people, getting people connected to God. This is what Paul is saying. Uh, he's saying, uh, my ministry is to get you connected to God. Uh, this is reconciliation. Uh, get that thing that was uh, once far apart in, in one sense and bring it back together. Those parties that were not talking together, uh, what Paul was saying, uh, my ministry is to get the parties together. And you do that by telling you, uh, one person that you are a sinner and there's only one way back to God and that is through Jesus Christ. And once you accept that, once you confess that, then at that particular particular point you become reconciled to God because Christ has already died on the cross for you he no longer hangs on the cross uh, but the bottom line is that Jesus Christ that he stands there as your advocate that he stands there in order to make a propitiation for God that means satisfies uh, the, the the great demands that God has for the sin that you had before him so Paul says so Paul says that uh, this is my ministry. I am here to get you back to God. Verse 20. Uh, let's go back to verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You see that? Uh, not condemnation here. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are affirmed because if you have faith in Christ, you are reconciled to God. Uh, this is something to feel good about. In all of our affirmations through the eyes of Jesus, we must remember our innate depravity, however. It is true that we were created uh, as God's good creation. Uh, he says, when he made you, when you came into this world, uh, that you are good. God says that you are good. Uh, but the goodness that was inherent in us has been struck down by the willful disobedience that played out in our forefathers. And now it rages in the hearts and minds of men, women, and children everywhere. Surely if you don't know Christ, you are squarely in this category. And these positive affirmations from the Lord know that there exists an ugliness that we can't ignore. Yes, all the positive self-talk of the 1980s and the 90s has taken a toll on us in that now we believe that there is no real ugliness in people. Everybody is good. Remember the mantras of you are what you say you are. Remember that loving myself heals my body. And I prosper wherever I turn and I know that I deserve prosperity of all kinds. All of this reeks of the scent of humanism. That that is not from God, but that is from the depths of the depraved heart and mind of a fallen human race. It is true that sometimes we must hear words similar to these, but we must be discerning and have our, our biblical filter up to know uh, the goats from the sheep. You see, 
You can outfit a pig with a dress. You can put makeup on a pig. And you can allow that pig to wear high heel shoes. But at the end of the day, it will still be a pig. Messy, dirty, careless, anything goes, everything is fair game. Regardless of which penthouse they live in or what type of titles they hold, a pig will always smell of pork. It is just what they are by nature. So as Paul appealed to the Corinthians on uh, the day, I also appeal to you, uh, be reconciled to God. Affirmation through the eyes of Jesus moves into reconciliation with God. His desire is to find us all living in harmony with God's plan and with his purpose. If you have never made a conscious effort to be connected with God, then you should know uh, that you are not at peace regardless of what folks tell you. This is just a fact. So again, I implore you, brothers and sisters, be reconciled to God. And then finally, Jesus' empty cross means that you will see him. This is an affirmation that this is good news, that one day, because of the cross being empty, that means that one day we will see him again. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus says, and look here, not only did I exist in the past, he says, not only do I exist in the present, but Jesus says, I will exist in the future that one day you will have to bow before me. So that will either be good news or it will be bad news for you. God's affirmation of, of us will culminate in a time when we will see Jesus. This is at the heart of Easter or this is at the heart of Resurrection Sunday. At the heart of this day of celebration is that Jesus lives and the grave could no longer hold him. Your faith will be rewarded. Your refusal to move off the centrality of Jesus Christ will be recognized. The cross is no longer occupied by Jesus. That element of torture and death which the devil thought would stop the Messiah from issuing permanent change was used to further God's kingdom agenda instead. So there are some things we should affirm ourselves which clearly come from God. What can we affirm? Well, the uniqueness and beauty of a man and a woman, our love of family, our appreciation of artistry, of people's painting, sculptures, musical abilities and composition and performance, the desires for community, administration, leading, our need to steward to earth. You know what I'm talking about? Getting rid of all the plastic bags, right? And going back to the paper bags that they had at first time that they said it wasn't no good, it's killing all the trees, so now we're going to use plastic bags, and, right? And our gift to recognize the majesty of God. And that urge inside of us to fall down and worship him. 
But we also must deny those inner urges which clearly come from the flesh and our sinful tendencies. Our moral perversity and the gradual and now obvious blurring of sexual distinctions and lack of sexual self-control. That selfishness that constantly enters into our family life and our fixation on the ugliness of humanity. That defiant, uh, that defiant refusal to develop God's gifts and our antisocial tendencies that constrain the growth of true community. In addition, but not limited to our deceptive worship practices that reject true worship of Christ in favor of the convenient and idolatrous acts of adoration of false gods. So the Lord, he makes us feel good because he affirms us. He affirms us by telling us we matter and are worthy of respect. But it doesn't end there. He invites us into a loving relationship of forgiveness. Not only that, he has forgiven us who turned our backs on the church, thinking that the church is on the wrong side of life. This Resurrection Sunday, be affirmed through the eyes of Jesus, but more so than anything else, if this is not true of you today, I implore you today, be reconciled to God. I implore you today, be reconciled to God. I appeal to you today to get right with God. What will you do? What will you do? Your decision. But I want you to feel good. Jesus makes you feel good. But at the end of the day, it will all be short-lived if you don't know Christ. Let us pray.